Totally Football Show. It's been a big weekend. In Manchester, City give footballing classes, score a goal after 44 passes. United look slower than molasses. Elsewhere, refereeing farces. Charlie Austin says the ref needs glasses. Crystal Palaces, thank goodness no one broke their metatarsis. And PSG lead Henri's Monaco on their arses. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Here's a bit of Daniel's story for you. Good morning. Hopefully you've changed your trousers since your trip to the Etihad yesterday. I have. Excellent news. Julian Laurent's joining us today. Hello, everyone. Hello to you, Jules. And also with us today, Kelly Cates. Oh, Kelly's uh, actually not here yet, listener. She's experiencing some difficulties with parking in central London. <laughs> Who knew? Anyway, uh, so much for us to discuss. Can I tell you, it's almost stressful how much football was going on, particularly on Sunday night, no? I had real FOMO over this. You had Le Plastique on one, you had Juve Milan or Milan Juve. There was the Super Classico as well. Uh, plus, I'd been to Port Vale Sunderland, so I had to catch up on the Manchester Derby. Yikes. Stressful, Jules. I can imagine. Why don't you watch two games at the same time? So you can't, you can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. How many, can, how many games can you watch at the same time? So two, two, I think is more than two is hard. I, I know Gab Marcotti, our friend yeah. from Galazzo, you know, he's used to watch a lot, or at least having a lot of screens at the same time with a lot of football on. He claims, I think, he can watch four games at the same yeah, time. Yeah, which I don't, I don't believe four is possible. He but we did three for three years on the Gold Show. Yeah. So three is doable. I think two is when really you can watch two without missing anything. Right. Of a two is Daniel, would you go along with two, that? Two and they have to be on different formats. I can't. I wouldn't be able to have two televisions next to each other, but one tablet, one television is fine. I think. Okay, good. To clear that up, listener. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get on with the football. There were big games all over, as I think we've pretty much cleared up. But let's begin uh, at the Etihad, Daniel. Mm. Man City's apotheosis now. It was. It was mesmeric to watch at times. This okay, was you in your headline went with the gap is chasmic, the football almost orgasmic. Yeah, and I I think the the almost was edited in actually as well. Oh. So um, no, they they were mesmeric at times. It was the worst game for Manchester United because Mourinho has been able to build this small bubble of resilience that have come from falling behind in games and coming back and. Uh, and against Juventus, that deserved to be the headline. But I think in the other games, the headline deserved to be that they keep falling behind and they keep playing poorly in the first half. And Manchester City had a shot before United even touched the ball. In the first 15 minutes, I think the possession was 86% to City. It was it was embarrassing, really. Best thing about them, their tactical fouling. It is a thing. Um, and just because Manchester City are beautiful to watch does not mean that we should ignore um, that element of their game. Pep Guardiola... Uh, I think in the build-up to the Shakhtar game, dismissed it and said, I've never told my, my players to foul. But there's, there's recorded footage on the All or Nothing uh, Amazon documentary of uh, Mikel Arteta saying, make fouls. Um, Dominic Tarant, the, the, you know, the former assistant, he says, we make fouls within five seconds if we can't get the ball back. So it is a thing. Um, but it's, it's a thing that lots of clubs do. I, yeah, I suspect yeah. it's become a bigger issue because there but are so few... they do it so very well? Yeah, and, and they also... don't get booked for it either. They do do it well, but I think, I think it is more of an issue because there are so few other flaws that the one thing that they do do that is a, a kind of dark arts rather than beautiful stands oh. out so much. Right, I like it. The, the passing's pretty good as well. Jules, did you enjoy their performance? Yeah, it was, very, I, it was amazing. But I don't think there was anything different than what we expected. I know they hadn't beaten United at home since November 2014, so that was that was three games. That was the fourth one. But United played like a team that is eighth in the table and City played like the super-dominant leader that they have. Mm. And I, I just don't know what people expect, how, how it would have been different. Without Pogba, there was no creativity at all in this United team, but there was never going to be, you know, as long as Pogba wasn't there. And then defensively, they're, they're a terrible team, Manchester United. They've conceded already 21 goals. They had 20, 28 conceded last season in the whole of the season. Mm. And 21 after 12 games. They have a negative goal difference, I think, for the first time since, what, 1977 at this stage? Yeah, 1977-1978 season. They're the only team at the top half with a negative goal difference. The only team with fewer clean sheets than them are Fulham. Yeah, and it's their worst start since 1990. So, I just... 
as as amazing as City were, like they often often are, mm. United were very average, like they often are this season as well. So I think the the end of the game was exactly what we expected. All right, but you had fun watching City. That's the yeah point. because yeah. the the, the Gundogan goal is just incredible. Yeah, you know. But apart from that, I think they were exactly at the level I expected them to be. Jose Mourinho stood virtually motionless on the touchline, and his central midfield followed that lead. A City edge closer to perfection. This is from your piece in the Independent. Or the eye, I mm, think. Indeed, uh, Daniel. It does raise the question: of How do you approach Man City? They stood off. Um, Paul Scholes is my hero. Tweets: If parking the bus means losing three-one, and going gung-ho means you lose six-two, probably. How do you approach playing Man City? I, I actually think that there was some logic in Mourinho's plan, which was to play. I mean, if Pogba was injured, so it kind of made his decision for him. Um, but he picked this huge central midfield of you know with. And Herrera, who's the kind of worker, Maran Fellaini and Emmanuel Matic. And the idea was to contain City and then at a point in the second half, push Maran Fellaini further up the pitch and look to go direct. Um, the problem came when they conceded after you know after fewer than 15 minutes because it meant that um, there was nothing to claw onto. And, and actually, for, for large periods of that first half, you got the impression, the game, that both teams were happy with 1-0 for until the 80th minute. Manchester United were just kind of shell-shocked, just hoping that City just continued to pass the ball across the back rather than trying to hurt them further. And There are there is a reasonable defence for Manchester United being this far behind City. I do believe that. I mean, in terms of the spending and in terms of the, the squads that both managers found. But that is not the argument against Jose Mourinho. The argument against Jose Mourinho is that they're behind Bournemouth and Watford in the table. Um, that they've faced more shots than Leicester, that they've had fewer shots than... They've created fewer chances than Southampton. Like, these are damning, damning blows to Jose Mourinho and um, there are fewer and fewer reasons to, to believe that he's going to turn it round in my eyes. Mm. I don't understand how Matic and Fellaini could have contained the City midfielders because the, the lack of mobility by Matic and Fellaini is just completely contrasting with the incredible mobility of the two Silvas, for right. example. So for me, tactically, it, having Matic and Fellaini there was completely pointless from the beginning. But were City so good that it's kind of almost pointless to, to discuss how, how United got it wrong? There, there yeah. almost was no way of stopping them when they're in that kind of form. True, but if you also help them by having two defensive midfielders who can't run and mm. who can't move, when in your team you have Bernardo Silva, who is the master of finding space even when there's no space, it's just, I think, I think that made it even easier for, for City. And that's why, like Dan said, that's why they were so comfortable City that they could have just won one nil and just passed the ball for the whole game. City's best player? Oh, Bernardo Silva is yeah. incredible. Mm. Yeah, David Silva's the, the kind of creative magician and he gets the headlines because he, he hasn't got them before, I think. But Bernardo is the one that, you know, we've almost forgotten about Kevin De Bruyne and he's arguably the best player in the league. So um, that is all about Bernardo Silva's form. OK, can we talk a little bit about Raheem Sterling? Dog-loving Raheem Sterling, <laughs> not content with buying a dog, taunting Man United at the end by running like Velma out of Scooby-Doo, as uh, A. West was, was tweeting. It's true, actually. He does have a similar gait. Uh, but also this business at the end with the, with the Steffos and that, which it upset one matter. When you upset one matter, <laughs> you're on the wrong side of history, I think. Yeah, and, and Pep Guardiola also in his defence, came out and said, that's not really how I want to do things. I suspect he said that publicly, but I suspect he's privately very, very happy that Raheem Sterling feels like he has that confidence to do that at the end of the game. There was a moment in uh, in one of the derbies last season where at Old Trafford, Manchester City kept the ball for kind of almost two minutes in the Manchester United corner um, to tick down the clock. And this was basically a repeat of that. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. It was the kind of dancing around the ball, which... Manchester United took exception to. I mean, personally, I have no issue with it. I think you know, um, it shows confidence and that's something that we should be delighted given what Raheem Sterling's gone through over the past couple of years. Daniel, you mentioned mm. keeping the ball for two minutes, which, funny enough, was, I think, exactly how long it took for that 44-pass goal. Mm. Was that is that the goal of the season so far, Jules? You were one of those fans of passing people to death and then... Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I'm all for it if there's a purpose at the end, like the goal. Right. Uh, the, the the incredible thing about it is not so much the 44 passes, is that every single one is the right choice to make. Because after five passes, Sterling or Bernardo Silva or David Silva, whoever could have made another choice, maybe would have lost the ball or could have tried to dribble past someone. But every single one was the right thing to do at that time. And even the cross from, from, from Bernardo Silva, where you're thinking, why is he crossing the ball? Because... 
you know, Gundogan is never going to score a header. And yet the cross is perfect. The first touch with his left foot from Gundogan is absolutely genius. Mm. And then the finish is, gets a bit lucky because De Gea touch, touches the ball a little bit. But that's what strikes me is that Pep manages to get those players playing the right pass at the right time. Every, not every single time, but most of the time, lack on that goal, which is incredible. And speaking of which, Raheem's cross for the, was it, I think the first goal, gorgeous. Mm. And the, only, the other thing I would say about Manchester United is a player that didn't play, which is Fred. Um, Mourinho had that plan of, of central midfielders and he said after the game he said Manchester City were lucky because Marion Flaney couldn't play 90 fit. minutes and if he had been fitter yeah. if he had been fit I'd have brought him on for the last 20 minutes yeah. and we'd, they'd have been in big big trouble and you think well if that was the way to get Manchester City in big big trouble it doesn't say much for your faith in a £50 million summer central midfield signing that you wouldn't even play him to then create that situation at the end which you feel was the best way to trouble City Mourinho was pushed for he, he was the one that pushed for Fred signing he was the one that pushed to pay the money that Shakhtar want and are clearly delighted with getting and it looks like he's already kind of discarded him and Fred is a player that Pep wanted badly as well as City really really wanted <laughs> mm, a bit like Alexis Sanchez a bit like Alexis Sanchez oh my word is here that, is Parking Kate hello yes, hi Kelly hi. How are you? So we're in the last five when minutes of the show. Is there anything you're looking forward to this week? <laughs> did you see the Manchester derby? Yes, I did see the Manchester derby. What did you think? Um, I lo- yeah, I mean, City are just so much better, aren't they? There they you ju- go. They just, that, is, that, is that what we've been discussing? Kind the fact the that gist, they're better? Yeah. And the other thing with City is that they are so much better, but it, you can't get heart and soul behind their football, though, and it's not their fault because the teams that they play against are so defensive and so dull that City become like this metronome with the occasional flash of brilliance at the end of it. And it's why I enjoyed the semi-finals in the Champions League last season. Because when you see City have to turn it on, they're fantastic. But when you see sides sit like that against them, it's like, it's lovely, it's beautiful, but it's not, you know, it doesn't grab you. Who do you like watching then, Kelly? No, but I, but I, I like City at times. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm just saying there are times like, like at, at the weekend when... They do play brilliantly and you can appreciate it. But it's the same way that you, I don't know, you can listen to a piece of music and think, yeah, that's great. Now I can really hear what they're trying to do. Then there's other stuff that just emotionally gets you. What kind of music are man? <laughs> I don't know. Don't. <laughs> I've just come in. I've been sitting in the car. All right. I'm stressed. Take I'm a breath. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, well, now that was the Manchester derby and it was terrific fun. Three teams within four points of each other at the top. City two clear now of Liverpool. Chelsea uh, falling behind a little bit. Man United are all the way down in eighth place, a whopping seven points off the Champions League positions. Ooh. How about we talk about what the other big sides got up to after this? You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Kelly, where were you this weekend? I was in Cardiff. We'll talk about that one later on. <laughs> but I'm interested to hear your thoughts about uh, Liverpool and their 2-0 win over Fulham. Yeah. I had an amazing stat actually last week. I, I'm, I have a, a really difficult relationship with stats. I get them wrong all the time. But I think I'm right in saying that Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool have faced newly promoted sides around 23 times. And this was only their seventh win mm. in that run. Yeah. And on the other hand, I think Pep has never lost yeah, it's exactly against... Promoted teams. Okay, well, this was a 2 0 victory for Liverpool, making it 31 goals now that Fulham have conceded in 12. They had a goal ruled out for offside, which Jokanovic was fairly upset about after the final whistle. They did better in this game, is that fair? Fulham, they looked a bit better? A bit better, yeah. Good. I mean, that's pretty much the only direction they could have gone in, though, isn't it? A fair point. What's the feeling on Merseyside, though, Kelly, about Liverpool, two points behind? It wasn't, it wasn't a brilliant performance, but it didn't need to be. The problem, problem is that sometimes when they do need a great performance, then it's not there either. And we saw a bit of last season, maybe mostly in the PSG game. But other than that, it's, it's as much as everybody's been saying, this is great, if they're getting results while the performances haven't been brilliant. At right. some stage, the performances either have to improve or they'll, they'll catch up with you in terms of results, which like is what last, happened yeah. exactly in Europe. Right. And what did you think of what happened in Europe? Well, I was working, so I, d- I only had half an eye on the game. But I, I don't feel I really I don't feel I really um, uh, took it in as fully as okay. I might have done. And to be honest, my my interest was sort of wavering. Right. <laughs> I was. Yeah. OK. How many games can you watch at the same time? Not very many because like, because I miss. Yeah. But I but I but I miss things. Yeah. So I and I, I get confused as to where the goals are. Some people are really good at it and mm. I, I can't do it. But also I can't watch films in 3D because I get motion sickness. Okay. So I think that might be I think it might be related. 
Okay. I mean, no. Yeah. It's a female thing. It's a, it's Is an actual right? yeah, it's an actual medical thing that women mm. are much more prone to. But you can type get, and, talk and, at the and same um, time. virtual reality. Yeah, I'm not typing now. But you could. But I could. Yeah, I can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Chelsea had a nil-nil draw with Everton. Uh, oh, the Marco Silva anti-Chelsea game plan tick. Uh, yeah. Lots of teams put some on Eden Hazard. He put two people on Jorginho. Yeah, and he was poor and arguably could have been sent off in the first half for a pretty wild challenge. Um, Chelsea struggle when Alvaro Morata plays. I know Mucho Sarri wants to pick him and pick him and pick him to kind of play his way into form, but days like yesterday, they're just crying out for someone in, in a, just a little bit sharper. He spends so much time on the floor, which I know sounds like a sort of very proper football man thing to say, but he does. He gets so frustrated. And the, the stat that I like about Morata is he... He's been caught offside twice more than any other Premier League player this season. He's only started eight of their games. Wow. He's just five times yesterday he's caught offside. And it's, it's as if it's just you want to shake him and just he doesn't learn from those mistakes. He just does the same thing again and again. And there's clearly something there that, that Real Madrid and Juventus and Chelsea saw, but it's a long way away at the moment. Mm. Stats, of course, being what people who don't understand football... Yeah. So I've been told. So yeah. I think Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola don't really understand football either. <laughs> you know. Here's another number for you. Uh, 12 games unbeaten now for Maurizio Sarri. That, that's like a record. It's cool. I think it's a super cool record. Mm-hmm. And they're still unbeaten. And it's, uh, I don't think he or anyone, even in the with the players, the fans, could have, I think, expected such a good start of, of the season. And it's clearly taking less time to get those players play the way he wants and they're still far away from what he wants them to mm-hmm. be the final product either so it's good clearly good Arsenal had a draw with Wolves Niku Lal says can we talk about how good Nuno's tactics were rather than how Arsenal played bad please let's talk about Nuno's tactics mm. they, they, they've got this ability Wolves this season they play a 3-4-3 and against big teams they managed to turn games into kind of near chaos against big clubs they did it against Tottenham in a kind of they lost but it was 3-2 and it was a bizarre game how do you mean? well it, it just when a big club plays a small club they are better than player on player so if it becomes a in inverted commas normal match the big club is going to win far more often than they're not but Nuno with Wolves manages to kind of upset the rhythm of big clubs and turn a game into something like a roll of a dice and the the Spurs game went against them um, they drew against City they drew against, yeah, City. They drew against Arsenal and should have won yesterday mm. you know Arsenal did not merit a point in that game and yeah it's a really it's a that, knack that other clubs don't do it, it. Don't, he got into Xhaka's head clearly yeah well. yeah he put he, he well Xhaka sometimes gets into his own head but yeah he he, he presses high up the pitch for the know. first half hour basically and mm. tries to unnerve them but yeah, he has got good, good players. Yes, they do. They yeah. are really good players. Yeah. Okay, Mkhitaryan's equaliser was uh, intentional, not intentional. Delete is applicable. It was an intentional cross. Okay, super. And Arsenal are now unbeaten in 15 matches, although they had that run of 11 straight wins and now they've drawn four of their last five, so they're slowing down a little bit. Three three in the league yeah. in a row. And against teams that you know, maybe you would expect them to, well, apart from Liverpool, but expect them maybe to get the three points. Mm. And it's the, they're the only team with Fulham never to have led a half-time, which surely is an issue that Unai Emery is great to show character and come back in games, but there's a, there's a point where you need to start to score first and that's a big help. Very true. Get well soon, Danny Welbeck as well. Yeah, is he a nice chap, Danny? Because he seems he's a really, really cool guy. All right, really, really good guy. Mm. We're going to talk about Spurs very shortly, but we're also going to address the first of our other big kind of worldwide matches. Paging Raphael Honigstein. You're up next. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row, and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game. Joins us now on the line, Stuart. Stuart. Sounds like Stuart needed Paddy Power, because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game, so everything is exciting. Plus, you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only, max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey, Rafa, did you have a nice weekend? I had a great weekend, James. Thank you very much. How, How many yours? matches can you watch at the same time? 
I can only watch one match at, a, uh, at the same time. I'm a one-match man. Right. Good to hear that, Rafa. That's the right yeah. answer. Uh, let's talk about one match which you surely focus both eyes on uh, this weekend, and that is Der Klassiker. The best Bundesliga game in recent memory, Rafa. Yeah, and that, that really is not an overstatement. It was uh, wonderful stuff, uh, so much quality, so much pace, really conflicting styles. It was old versus young. It was the new champions, possibly against the old ones. Um, it had the crowd. It, had, it really had everything. And it made everyone very happy because we've had maybe one or two lean years in the Bundesliga where Bayern, having gone unchallenged, had become a little bit lazy complacent overall the um, quality had also dropped a little bit and this was sort of the Bundesliga coming back with a bang which might uh, well propel Dortmund all the way to the to the title. The classic of course being Borussia Dortmund taking on Bayern Munich beating them in this instance 3-2 Lewandowski and Roy's trading goals before Paco Alcacer finally uh, won it for the home side after after their last two meetings that were what 6-0 and 7-1 defeats to to Bayern or something of that order how did the home fans react to this they absolutely went went nuts especially because the game could have easily gone the other way Bayern were very dominant the first uh, 30 minutes or so they were still very much in it uh, at the hour mark and Dortmund only pulled away right at the very end so it had the sort of dramatic arc that you want as well as the home as the home uh, supporters and they were absolutely delirious because I don't think they had really allowed themselves to start dreaming about the trophy to start realistically thinking you know this could be our year I think they were, were a little bit wary of uh, Bayern sort of coming back and uh taking them down a notch yet again. And it looked as if they might be able to do that for, for quite a long spell in this game. So to come sort of to come back from behind twice, to to run away in such thrilling fashion was just the, the icing on the cake, really, for this for the home team. Mm. Seven points clear now of Bayern Munich, who lie fifth out of the Champions League places. They have two weeks to think about that. And, and I guess there'll be a lot of... A lot of talk about what solutions they may come up with. Frank Ribery had a miserable time of it as well. Is that right, Julian? Yeah. Hi, Raf. Um, which I think shows as well the frustration going on, you know, at Bayern Munich, and we saw that before with with Thomas Müller's wife, and by maybe a bit of unrest in the dressing room with Niko Kovac and everything, the directors and all that. But there was that story emerging in France that Frank Ribery had an altercation with um, the guy who does the co-coms for French television on the Bundesliga, Jean-Marc Guillou, who's a former player himself and slapped him three times in the face. So Ribery slapped a commentator? Yeah, confronted him outside the coach. Why? Uh, because he didn't like the, some of the, the things that this guy Jean-Marc Guillaume said on French television about him and about Bayern Munich. And it's not really the, the way you should answer, you know, whoever you are, whether you, even if you're not a Bayern Munich player or not even Frank Ribery. But yeah, I think it shows that there's a lot of things going wrong at, at Bayern Munich at the moment. Yeah, and Bayern have admitted that there was an incident and uh, Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director, has volunteered uh, when it comes to peacemaking and I think they're trying to set up a meeting, but Julian is absolutely right. This, I think, goes back, if I correctly understand, to Ribery's wife uh, being unhappy with the comments, making herself known on Instagram and then Franck reading that and reacting to it after the final whistle. The perils the perils of social media, but... Um, the interesting thing is that apart from that reaction and apart from that kind of sense of frustration, of course, that uh, traveled back to, to Munich with a Bayern squad, it's actually relatively quiet at the moment. And the reason for that is that Bayern have decided that the problems go much deeper than Niko Kovac. And there's no real appetite for getting rid of him. There's no real solution as far as just changing a quick, you know, changing the manager your pankers this time is not going to be able to save them once more so because of that i think the attention is very much sort of going forward and now the talk has become about having a proper transition in the summer adding three or four players spending a lot of money all the things that Bayern didn't do this year to really change the team and maybe change the setup as well i personally think that salihamidzic the sport director his job will come under pressure it should be in any way because he's out of his depth. But Niko Kovac, for the time being, is safe, and that's why you don't perhaps quite see the sort of volatility that you could have expected after such a result. You know what they need, Rafa? They need a young English player like Reese Nelson or Jaden Sancho, who, who by all accounts took them apart in this game. Is that fair? 
But Sancho was very good. I, I, I'm not sure he took them apart, but he certainly had a had a big impact and uh, was one of the reasons why poor Mats Hummels, who was suffering from, from man flu, had to be substituted uh, shortly in the second half. Uh, he was just didn't know where he was coming or going anymore. And Jaden Sancho was, was very good. Reese Nelson's very good at Hoffenheim, scored again at the weekend. And it was interesting because <laughs> Sally Hamicic came up to Jaden Sancho after the final whistle and kind of hugged him and started talking to him. I think Jaden Sancho looked at him as if to say, who are you? But <laughs> it might have been sort of a first attempt maybe to, um, uh, to do something that Bayern, of course, have always done in the past, which is just try and buy their best rivals. But I think this time Dortmund in a much more secure space, financially much more able to resist um, the easiest of answers, and Bayern will have to dig a little bit deeper this time. Back to the Premier League, everybody. All right, Julian. Yeah. Spurs beat Palace 1 0 for the fifth time in a row. Do you know that's the longest consecutive run of wins by the same score in Premier League history? Is it? I yeah. like that stat. Uh-huh. Just because it's niche. <laughs> yeah. And what a turnaround for young Juan Foyt. Yeah, having given away two penalties and now scoring the winner. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I didn't realise you were expecting us to explain no, for you. I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of... <laughs> you see, he's level of English. English he? he speaks English so well already. It's crazy. Okay. He was very close signing for PSG and PSG pulled the plug out and we still don't know why. Right. It looked like about agent fees maybe. And then right. Posh apparently was too happy. Ooh, ooh, was so. it racial profiling? No, he wasn't. It could have been. Right. But being white, I think he wouldn't have had an issue. Okay. I think the problem just, was more if you were not white. Oh, I see. Uh, just for any listeners who are wondering why I, I threw that in. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, one of the football league's uh, revelation last week about um, the sort of head scouts at PSG for the academy, who uh, told his uh, his scouts around the well, especially around the Paris area, to mark if the boys were what origin the boys were. So if they were white, Asians, African or African descent, or Caribbean descent. Right. But was there some suggestion that they would favour one over the other? Or? So, yeah, the, 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 the whole point as well of it is that they had to have a sort of a mixed dressing room for all the age groups so they couldn't have too many black players or too many white players. Oh. Too, but especially, clearly, and one especially, Jan Boho, who is a very, very promising kid of his generation, who was very close of signing for PSG, but apparently they didn't sign him because of the skin, the colour of his skin and right. it, would have made, it would have been another black kid in that dressing room at that age group so the club saying that it's nothing to do with them that is this head scout who organised that by himself I find it hard to believe that they didn't know anything about it before he says that the order came from above so it's really hard it's really hard to tell but the, the different thing I think which I find out bef- between France and here is uh-huh. that it's illegal in France to do that whereas here you almost encourage it but when, when you feel stuff at school for my kids, you have to say if you're white British, if you're white Irish, if you're whatever. Whereas in France, it's completely, completely illegal. You can't even do it at school. You can't do it in a poll. You can't do it at all. Mm. Anyway. So they're in big trouble now. They could be in big trouble. Okay. Uh, anyway, we were talking about Spurs beating Palace. Yes. Yeah, uh, so there you go. Palace losing without Zaha. Still, they did threaten, didn't they? Because Spurs needed good Loris to be back. Hmm. And, and and a weekend where Addison had a mistake, you know, and it's good to see that other other goalkeepers make mistakes, even very good ones, and it can happen to a Goliaris, and it did happen to a Goliaris a lot this season. Mm-hmm. But he also, he, I think he was decisive against Wolves, and they won that game against Wolves because of him. And I think they won again on at the weekend because of him. Excellent. Daniel, you want to talk about away points. <laughs> Yeah, I I find myself almost sort of semi-constantly defending Mauricio Pochettino. There's a funny thing, and it's my own fault for being on social media, but as soon as you praise Mauricio Pochettino, the replies say, well, what trophies has he won? Well, what trophies has he won? And you kind of think, well, Mauricio Sarri and Eddie Howe and Chris Hutton probably say the same. Um, I get it. I get that it would be nice if Tottenham had won a trophy. I also think that if he won the League Cup or the FA Cup, people would say, well, yeah, but what about the league? What about bottling the league or bottling the Champions League? But yeah, Tottenham have taken... Um, more away points than any other club in the last nine months. I think only Manchester City have better points per game than them over that period, which is remarkable given that we were, how much we were expecting them to fall away this season after probably the worst summer of any club in in the Premier League. You know, no signings, constant fatigue, etc. They just carry on doing their thing, and then they're now turned into a club that kind of grind it out. The idea was this: the whole Spursy cliche was that when the going got tough, they'd fall away. Actually, they've kind of flipped that on its head, and when the going gets tough, that's when they're stepping up. And 
you know, they've played more away games than any other team this season because of the stadium fast. So when they actually get home and have oh, so that... so that's why they've got more away points than everybody else. Yes, yeah, only City have got more points per game. Oh, I see. Um, so yeah, City are better than the away points. Here's a good stat, by the way. Uh, Spurs won 166 away matches in the Premier League history, right? Okay, 166, mm-hmm. Kelly. Pochettino's won 44 of them. So he's won over a quarter of all the away games they've ever won in Premier League history. Premier League is what, 20... 26, 27 years, years old. old? Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Is that an amazing stat? It is an amazing stat. Yeah, it's Especially impressive. how bad they were away yeah. from home before he arrived. All and right. how, what a great job, like Dan was saying, he's been doing away from home. Mm. Jules, your um, predictions about Crystal Palace went viral at the start yeah. of the season, but there they are. I got They're a lot of goal views. difference above the drop. They've got Chelsea and Man United coming up in their next four matches. Yeah. So it's not going to get easier. All right. And with, with our Zaha, it's, it's even harder. Mm. It really is. Should we talk about some of the other teams down the bottom? And also, because we're going into international break now, that's a good time to make a change, isn't it? If you're looking to make a change, mm-hmm. make that change. Wow. As Michael Jackson says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you, you don't want to make the, the world a mirror. better place. Yeah. You look at the man in the dressing room. Uh, we, any ch- any kind of prospects of there being upheaval on benches? Where do you think it's more likely to happen, or is it mm. is it not? Is everyone okay in this international Fulham break? Fulham and Southampton, yeah, the only two they, But then, having made the changes at Southampton with Les Reed going, mm. you then wonder if Mark Hughes will be given time under any kind of new regime to mm. to establish himself, be- or, or whether they'll let the new, the person who comes in to replace Les Reed yeah. choose the new manager. That was the, that's the way I read that. That Les mm. Reed being the man who brought in Mark Hughes, him going all of a sudden, Mark Hughes looks very vulnerable. They've got Chinese owners at, at mm. uh, Southampton, so it's it's a, it's a different regime making the decisions, and he's got a really bad win percentage, just three in his last twenty. <laughs> that, that's not a percentage. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Charlie Austin, did he also call 606? Do you know? I don't, think, I don't know. Did okay. he? I don't know. Because you weren't on it because you were doing the Cardiff I wasn't game, on it. I wasn't listening. Right. <laughs> no. It was extraordinary, wasn't it? I don't, yeah. I've not heard a player go off like that, particularly as you say... It's amazing, though. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I, I actually don't think... I, listen, I have listened to it a couple of times. I don't think he said anything that can get him into trouble because I don't think he accused the refs of being corrupt or mm. but he just said they need help right. because they can't see what's happening on the pitch that's a wrong decision and, and they need the help to do it and he said it in a very passionate way which is very it was just refreshing isn't it mm. it's just it's you know it's so many of those post-match interviews you just kind of sit through and you endure them and that one was great because because he said what he thought. Most of the time they're trying to hide what they think. That's how they're, they're trained to talk to the media, is to, to conceal. But Charlie Austin just went <laughs> full tilt in the opposite direction, which is you amazing. You can see the kind of fire burn out as well. Kind of yeah, yeah, the last yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes back into the room. He was still sweaty and everything. Yeah. I mean, I know Charlie Austin rant kind of became the viral thing of this Premier League weekend, but, I mean, firstly, Ryan Bertrand should have given away a very clear penalty that Austin strangely didn't mention in his and, officials rant and also and sent off as well by yeah and man got a second yellow also Southampton are terrible Mark Mark Hughes I think I've well I know I've said it on here before but in his last 38 games as a manager as a Premier League manager so a whole season he's taken 31 points and somehow managed to engineer a promotion from Stoke to Southampton in that now I see why he was the manager for them to turn to at the end of last season as a kind of you know as the uh, that sort of firefighter but it's just not working out at all. And I think they might go down. Listeners, you remember Roy the Rovers, right? Well, the iconic comic has been rebooted and Roy Race is now a 16-year-old starting out life at League 2's Melchester Rovers, a team incidentally sponsored by us here at the Totally Football Show. The first two stories are out now. Scouted is an illustrated fiction novel which follows Roy as he attempts to catch the eye of the Melchester scout Johnny Dexter and get a shot at becoming a pro. And Kickoff is a hardback graphic novel featuring an amazing 50-page story packed with football, drama, football, action and more football and more football after that too. It's the perfect Christmas present for football mad kids and any parents who remember the good old days. Pick up your copy wherever you buy books, including Amazon, Waterstones and Sainsbury's. And find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. There was controversy at the Cardiff-Brighton game as well, was there, Kelly? Yes, there were. Well, there were. There was, there was a red card. Dale Stevens got sent off. And there was some discussion as to whether or not it was actually a red card. I think... It, 
Dermot Gallagher was talking about it, and I know that he always, always defends the referee's decision, but he was pretty categorical that it was it was definitely a red card. I don't think what what you find is there's a lot of ex players saying. I'm not sure that was a red card because they're looking at it. They're looking at how late his studs went up. Every, everybody who defended it talked about you know it, it, that it happened afterwards. But I, I mean, you you can't. You, I mean, that's it, today. That is a red card. That that's what that is. And then um, Sol Bamba was in an offside position um, in the build up to the goal, which oh, was, was the um, injury time equaliser. But when I say offside, I mean by his toe. I mean, there, there really wasn't very much in it. Plus, um, the, the assistant's view was slightly blocked. And I think it's, when you look at it in real time, you can understand why he made the, the decision that he did. So, yes, controversy and yes, talking points. But I don't think anything, actually, that you can you can build onto that hammering the, the officials kind of narrative right. with. Talking points and, and a big three points for Huge Cardiff. Huge three points for Cardiff. They are back, back inside the bottom three, though, at the yeah. end of the but. Briefly, briefly, they got nosebleeds. I thought the great bit about the the Cardiff Brighton game was that Sol Bamba took off his shirt to celebrate. And the referee asked him and said, you know, he didn't just forget to book him. He said to him, look, I didn't see it. So did you take off your shirt? Sol Bamba said, absolutely not. (laughs) And avoided the booking. And apparently cannot be booked retrospectively now for that, so even though he, everyone who's he just lied. about Raheem Sterling last week, not telling the referee that it wasn't a penalty, exactly. should presume, presumably feel the same way about Sol Bamba, because what was bizarre about that was that he didn't just take his shirt off, but he took his shirt off, ran around What was the ref doing? How did they miss it? All of them, all the three or four of them. How did, did they somebody pick up the shirt and hit him over the head with it? Yeah. Sol Bamba has not bought any dogs, though, James. Oh, So he's safe from the... I yeah, see. Right, dogs and dog whistles. You know where Sol Bamba is from in France, right? Is he from near Paris? Yeah, yeah. Paris born in red. Kids. Kelly, you don't know this perhaps, but you're going to find it interesting. <laughs> what, what area of Europe has the greatest success in producing top flight footballers? It is Paris. It is Paris. <laughs> greatest city on earth. So Jules, yeah. you had every advantage and yet you didn't make it. And every time, yeah. I got close. I didn't go too long. I got close. a lot of competition. There is. That's true. That's true. You can only have so many prisons in your team, otherwise yeah, it's exactly. the ethnic Saplings blend. Saplings need space to grow. Yeah. You know what's really bad is like when I looked, for example, at the uh, the French French A team, but also all the under 21, the 20, and the 19, and the 18, I look at where they're from and like 70% of all of them are from Paris, which feels me in joy. I look at them and think I could have done that. <laughs> oh, I wish. Now, also from bottom of the table, uh, results news, we've got Burnley with a nil-nil at Leicester. Uh, the fixture marked by uh, tributes and, and some touching scenes there as uh, the victims of the helicopter crash two weeks ago were commemorated. Uh, a draw as well between Huddersfield and West Ham. Huddersfield very nearly getting their second win in a week, but Felipe Anderson did for them with his third goal in a week. Is there some story, Jules, about Sami Nasri going to West Ham? It's a bit surprising he hasn't played for a very long time after that. Incredible ban, you have to say. It's an incredible ban to go to LA and get you know illegal um, treatments and then getting found out and caught because the, the girl who did it for you put it on Instagram. It's, it's, it's an incredible but I think but, the dangers know, good, like, of social media yes yeah. they obviously lost Yamolenko so you would think he's a replacement for, for Yamolenko somehow yeah. just not in walls at free kicks no but no. I, like, I just no one can tell me how he's going to do that because no one knows in terms of fitness right. what kind of mindset he's in what kind of hair colour he's using yeah how like if he the last time I saw him he didn't look in shape for playing Premier League football but uh-huh. he might be now I don't know does he know anyone Where's who can it? help him <laughs> <laughs> that would be an excellent saga. No, hey, I went to see my friend again. <laughs> Maybe okay. I, don't, I haven't been Thanks told that story. I, I, I hope not for them, unless he's you know he's really? worked a lot on his fitness while he was banned. Okay, I'm not sure he hasn't played for a very long time. All right, Newcastle got their second straight win. Paul McIntosh says this is one. This was two one rather over Bournemouth. Much fancied Bournemouth. Paul McIntosh says Newcastle's last two games are the best we've been all season. This has coincided with the absence of arguably our two best players, Lachelles and Shelby. Does this mean we can now sell them in January and make another heartwarming transfer window profit? Exciting times. Yeah, what happened here? Was, was Jack Lang right after all when he said that they got a bunch of winnable games coming up, Newcastle? Uh, yeah, they, well, Salomon Rondon is fit again and... That second goal, his header, it was vintage Lauren Robert to Alan Shearer. It was whipped in left-footed cross and 
the sort of powerful header that I dream of being able to pull off. And if they keep him fit, then he can lead the line. Iosi Perez is a worker, uh, and he does his best up there, and so will so will Muto. But Rondon is a presence, and and if that system is going to work with just one striker, it needs a presence. It needs someone to take care of defenders. And he's he was patchy last season, so I'm not completely convinced. But yeah, obviously he was excellent against Bournemouth. Iosi Perez really looks like David Strathern. Did you know the actor? Yes. Yeah. Um, another look like news. I thought Sergio Aguero now looks like Paulie Yates. <laughs> With that new hairdo. Which goal did you enjoy seeing more this week? That bullet header from Solomon Rondon or the 44-pass move thing for like Man City? The 44-pass goal is better, but you get more of a visceral thrill mm. from the header. Right. That's what I would say. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Callum Wilson got a call-up. Who saw that coming? Did he? I didn't see this one coming. Oh, Jules, Jules just being modest. That clunking sound <laughs> you can hear. Yeah, I was going to say, Jules is not at all being modest. <laughs> I text, as soon as the, the squad was announced, I texted right. producer Ben, saying, hey, do you remember that day when I said Callum Winston would get a call-up before the end of the season? Right. Okay, good. Go. I think Excellent. he deserves it. I think he's a, And he's still young enough to then go to a much bigger club and do much bigger things. All right. Or stay at Bournemouth. Or stay at Bournemouth and do great things with Bournemouth. Okay. But I think he's, he's a player that... He's already almost too big for Bournemouth and that he, he, he can easily play for a bigger team. I see. That is the Premier League for a fortnight, actually, as we head into the international break. And speaking of breaks and international things, after this, we're going to talk about more of the absolutely huge matches that took place and you maybe didn't get to see this weekend. Yup, Milan, Juventus, Le Plastique, Port Vale, Sunderland... Oh, and El Superclásico in Buenos Aires. Jules, Kelly, Daniel, listener, have you voted in the FSF Awards yet? Apparently not. Bruce Ben says, you really should. You get to vote for the best player, best writer, best newspaper, best radio show, and, oh, look, best podcast. Head to fsf.org.uk forward slash vote. And just like in Florida, you can vote as many times as you like, apparently. <laughs> so that's nice. Excellent. Anyway, um, best podcast on the championship is the Totally Football League show. And Caroline Barker, Sam Parkin and Adrian Clark will be back on Tuesday talking about all sorts of things. You had the first round of the FA Cup. I went to Port Vale Sunderland. Actually, it was really interesting. Sunderland have got their seventh straight win. They're flying, which may or may not be to do with the fact that they dropped down to League One, but still. That's but my favourite thing that's been going on on Twitter this week, saying the Spice Girls are going to be playing the stadium alight. I wouldn't put it past them to get three points. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's not dated very well, given that no, run of seven straight wins. Yeah. Yeah. In League One, they are a good team. Um, and possibly above that, Sunderland fans. But the big news is Norwich going top of the Championship with their ninth win in 11. Uh, they had a... Oh, they had a spirited game with Millwall. They were 3-2 down at home to the Lions with seven minutes to go, but they ended up winning 4-3 with the winner from Timu Puki. Got to catch them all. Uh, <laughs> that was in the 97th minute. Wow. And, of course, there's the other big thing I'm sure they'll be talking about in the Totally Football League show is the big Frank Lampard and John Terry plus Dean Smith uh, clash as Derby took on Aston Villa. Did you watch that? Yes, Derby were humbled at home by Aston Villa, which really? no Forest fan likes to see. Mm. And so the, the new uh, dream uh, dream team of John Terry and Dean Smith is working pretty well, are they? Yeah, they're getting back the feet. I mean, they are still bot- bottom half, I think. The big result of the weekend was West Brom pumping Leeds 4-1 oh, at home. Really? Uh, West Brom, obviously it's a, it's a mad championship and everyone's very close to each other, but West Brom are now showing signs, I think, that they are kind of back on track. Darren Moore completely changed the formation and they looked really, really good. That's brilliant. So West Brom beat Leeds 4-1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leeds had beaten Derby 4-1 in Derby and Derby had beaten West Brom 4-1. Wow. Like a yeah, it's a one crazy. for all and all for yeah, one. Yeah, it's a crazy... I mean, it's Championship like is always like this. designs, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, right, oh, more about all that in the Totally Football League show. Andrew Slaven is going to be here a little bit later on to do the Totally Scottish Football show where they'll be discussing, no doubt, the fact that Plucky Celtic have managed to grab a rare spot on top of the SPL on goal difference after they drew 0-0 at Livingston. Hearts, who had been occupying top spot, uh, had they lost their second game in a row. And Rangers pumped, to borrow your expression, Motherwell 7-1. Mm. 
So they're now third, two points behind Celtic. That's ever so exciting, Kelly, isn't it? It is. It's setting up the, the Scottish Premiership season very nicely indeed. Right. OK. More on the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to have you on that, Kelly, after that brilliant analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I wasn't expecting you to say yeah, anything no to me. And, and also, I thought, but also we're, we're, setting up the, we're setting up the other podcast, aren't we? So yeah. presumably we'll be talking about it on detail, in detail there. So exactly. What, what do you want me to add? Nothing. Just steal no, that's their, perfect. Steal that's their just... thunder with incisive analysis. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> moving on now, listener. Uh, what was the biggest game this weekend? Anybody was, in the world? It wasn't in the Premier League, I'm guessing, mm. which is the you know biggest, bestest, most amazingest league in the whole world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Super Classico. So not then, very much not. <laughs> yeah, in Buenos Aires. You've been across all the build-up to this, have you, Kelly? Well, yeah, a little bit because I saw Miguel Delaney the other day oh, and nice, he's okay. on his way. He was, he's oh, going. he went, did he? I think he's going to the second one. Right, not OK. Not this one. The second one. All right, well, they've already had one. It was meant to happen on Saturday, but it rained. So, you know, one of the two major events that got postponed because of rain <laughs> this week. Uh, they held it on Sunday instead and it sounded pretty much as you would expect it. Tell us more. Joining us now is Sam Kelly of Hand of Pod Podcast. Hi, James. Uh, one of the most hyped games of the of, of the season, I think this, and it lived up to expectations. Yeah, I think not just of the season. It's um, I, I don't normally like to go in for hyperbole, but I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that this was, you know, arguably the the biggest game in the history of Argentine club football. Um, arguably of the Copa Libertadores as well. I mean, obviously the Copa Libertadores has had lots of finals before, but none of them have ever been from two uh, clubs in the same city and from two such huge rivals as this one. Right, OK, so tell us about... This first leg has left everything all square, 2-2. There's no away goals, so in two weeks' time they're going to do it all over again. But who came out of this feeling better? River were um, celebrating a little more, let's say, towards the end. Uh, Marcelo Gachardo obviously wasn't at the stadium. Uh, he He was banned for breaking a touchline ban. Uh, during the semi-final, uh, he was watching from from the Monumental, from River Plate Stadium, and ran out onto one of the balconies to celebrate a couple of well, to celebrate the two goals with uh, fans who were watching outside there as well. Um, and River certainly, I think, will be happier with the overall level of their performance. There, there were some pretty uh, well-publicised images immediately after the game of Carlos Tevez shouting at his Boca teammates, at uh, various uh, Boca players admitting that the performance hadn't been great. But of course, what Boca have got, which River maybe lack um, in, in in some degree, is a really potent pair of strikers who, who can pull goals out of their bottoms, as it were, um, and, and really put Boca in the driving seat in spite of the fact that for quite large bits of particularly the first half, they really seem to be being outthought and outplayed by River, um, which I think sets it up beautifully for the second leg. Uh, it, it, it's it's a contrasting styles and, and contrasting strengths of, of the two teams. And how delicately poised it is going to the, the second leg in, in two weeks' time. 2-2 at the halfway point. If it's the biggest game in the history of Argentine football, what happens to the team that loses? <laughs> Obviously, neither of these teams want to lose. The first leg wasn't really played in that spirit. It didn't seem as if as if the two teams were were afraid of losing. And I don't think that these are two teams generally who are going to be afraid. But it wouldn't surprise me if the second leg gets a little bit tetchier. Um, there were 10 players on the pitch yesterday who were one yellow card away from missing the second leg. Because Conmebol just, just keeps the yellow card count running throughout the Copa Libertadores. There's no sort of amnesty. Um, or if there is, then it's between the the round of sixteen and and the quarters or something. So it, it's you know, it's fairly easy to to rack up a suspension. And uh, as it was, Rivers' Colombian striker Rafael Santos Borre was the only player who actually did rule himself out of the second leg rather stupidly by insulting the referee after he disagreed with an opinion. But um, I, I do wonder whether that second leg is going to be a little bit more bad tempered and a little bit more stereotypically, I guess, what, what listeners uh, in, in the English-speaking world will expect from, from a Super Clásico, because, of course, they're not going to care so much if, if, oh, OK, well, I might miss the first match of next year's group stage if I pick up a yellow card here, but that's not really the important one. And, and the, the atmosphere, obviously, is, is going to be 
well, in some way the same because the the fans are going to be just as passionate. And in another way, it's going to swing the other way because it's going to be all River fans rather than all Boca fans um, in the stadium. And River have the, I, I think I'd make them ever so slight favourites if you held a gun to my head at this stage. But they do have a couple of... Uh, ghosts or skeletons in the closet let's say it, it was in river's own stadium and with something of uh what i believe in in spanish they, they call sort of sporting advantage if the aggregate score is the same then then they would have stayed up that river lost first division status back in 2011 for the first time in their history and so there's a belief on both sides there's certainly going to be a, a fear among the fans of losing and i suppose it's it comes down to, or, or one of the factors it could come down to, is is how much that fear gets transmitted to the playing squads. Speaking of great atmospheres, quick update on Thierry Henry at Monaco, Jules. <laughs> Cromwell has said, well, they had the big game on Sunday night. Do they actually call it Le Plastique? No. Nobody does. Don't know, but I, li- I like it. Yeah, it could work. I like it, yeah. Okay. Because it's... Yeah, so PSG visiting to take on Monaco. Yeah. Uh, where Thierry Henry had had five games yeah, in five charge now. and hadn't won any. Yeah, three and had, defeats, two draws in all competitions. Yeah, it had a terrible result. Was it 4-0 midweek in the yeah. Champions League at the hand of club Brugge? Yeah, Brugge. And it was the same scoreline here from PSG. Yeah, it could have been 10. They could have scored one. Falcao had a good chance in the first half and then we still, they were only 1-0 down at the time. You you still feel bad. I mean, I still feel bad for Thierry like I did in midweek mm. because it's a hell of a task. I'm not really sure he's ready. He's got 16 players out injured. And some of the best ones as well. He playing, he's playing kids who are not ready for that kind of level either. It's just, the stadium was full, by the way. I'm sure you were going to make a joke about I wasn't. no one being there. Yeah, you were. It was full in the sense that they draped red cloth over <laughs> the bits where there wasn't any. No, there were actually phys- people physically in the stadium yeah. to okay. see their team you know, being pumped PSG again. PSG fans, probably. There was 2,000 PSG fans who were there. It okay. was, it's just a sad, it's a, such a sad story that 18 months ago they were so good. They were the darlings of European football. They were incredible in the Champions League. They won the league for the first time in 17 years. And 18 months later, they're, they're actually the worst team in the whole of the five big leagues. Like right. literally Do you agree with that? Because that's what um, Jonathan Pearce was saying on commentary, is she? So in terms of points, yeah. their po- points per game, they're yeah. 98 out of 98. Wow. And when they won the of... league, for example, they were 7th out of 98. Hmm. No, they're literally 98 out of 98. I mean, it is that bad. They're not bottom in Ligue 1, though, because Gangon uh, on the same points, but they, their goal difference is minus nine worse. How bad are Gangon? <laughs> they are really bad. They've just changed the manager. Oh, OK. By the way, but Thierry is there for the longer term, so they say. Mm. Um, and, and we'll see. He will get new signing in January. I don't know what kind of signings, but... And they have to buy anyway. All oh, right, because Chadley's the latest one to go out injured as well. Shadley, yeah, Shadley got injured uh, after 20 minutes, I think, last night, which, again, doesn't help Thierry, although Thierry still looks like he's he's one of the lads, so he's on the touchline, and his body language is all about, oh, I was... And you're thinking, like, surely this is not helping your players, and mm. they look at him a lot. You see them looking up to him, and, like, what are we doing? And he's there, and he's putting faces, and he's frustrated, and he's clearly disappointed, and he's clearly angry, and... I'm not sure he knows exactly what to do. They play away at Caen next after the international break and they could get pumped again. I can't even Caen are really bad, but they, they're not as bad as Monaco for now. Anyway, uh, in Italy, huge game there on Sunday night, Milan-Juve. Anyone see this? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. All right. What happened to Paul Gonzalo Higuain? Oh, God, he missed a pen to start with. Yeah. I mean, they were already 1-0 down because Monzuki scored early. Then he missed a pen. Then he lost his He lost score. it. He lost it completely at the end, didn't Poor he? guy was in tears. I felt really bad for him. He yeah, big game is for well. two players. Yeah, Bonucci, who'd left Juve for Milan and then come back a little bit with his tail between his legs and was on the bench for this game, yeah. which was a lot of comment and about whether he'd asked for that himself. There was a lovely banner from the... Well, lovely, not so lovely... Uh, <laughs> From the cover saw, didn't he? About he was the worst captain since the one that the Costa Concordia, not good. Uh, and then the other player, of course, um, by the way, Benatia, who stepped in for Bonucci in the Juve back line, was possibly the man of the match. Brilliant game. Uh, and he was one of the reasons, I think, why Higuain had such a miserable mm, time uh, when uh, they were one nil down after Mandzukic's uh, early goal. They got a penalty, Higuain steps up, and a brilliant save from Wojciech Szczesny. Yeah. And uh, after that, uh, Higuain just gets more and more frustrated. 
And then he fouled. Who did he foul? Was it? Uh, it was Matuidi, wasn't it? Yeah, Matuidi, I think. Yeah. And then, then he gets com- a yellow first, right? And then keeps going on and on and on and gets second yellow. And I mean, then- he went full Charlie Austin on yeah. the referee. He really. I mean, even he worse. was hysterical. He was really like. And then he had to be held back from basically confronting the referee. And Cristiano Ronaldo came over and got in his face a bit. And I wonder if there's a there's a bit of Real Madrid previous there. Ronaldo said after the game, uh, I felt for Gonzalo because he didn't say anything out of turn. It seemed a surprising defence um, because he definitely did say something yeah. out of turn. You could tell. And when Ronaldo comes over and talks to him, Higuain gets really yeah. upset yeah. as well. I mean, obviously, he didn't want to leave. They pushed him out, Juventus, when they signed Ronaldo. So you could you could feel for him how an important game this must have been. Yeah. And with the penalty, he thought, yes, this is it. I'm going to score and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to show them you miss. And then it looks like you're going to lose and you're not happy. And then, yeah, and then Ronaldo scores. Yeah. Late as well in the game. Yeah, beautiful goal after a great yeah. build-up from João Cancelo. Uh, you were by that point playing that metronomic football that you like so much, Kelly. They looked. I didn't uh, say I didn't like it. No, I said, that's not what I said. I said it's just. I, I want what I was. The point I was making was, mm. and I had just come and cut. The point I was making was that I want to love them more. Yeah. I appreciate them, and the there are moments when I love them, but the, I want to love them more. Kelly's that's absolutely it. right because. Thank you, Daniel. In in the stadium. <laughs> Yesterday, and I've heard it before at Manchester City, you can see fans starting to, as if to say, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. And they almost stop themselves and think, no, 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 this is how we play, this is how we play, it's fine, it's fine. But they do want it's to see brilliant. it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's just every now and again. But Bayern Munich, there were a lot of fans who were not so happy by the, the style of play that they wanted a more direct style of football, which is what the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich often were anyway, mm. than what the Pep sort of... It doesn't like the tiki-taka term, but the tiki-taka football. All right, I see. Um, just on the other note of, of Italy, we'll have Golazzo later in the week with all the, the latest news and the oldest news as, as, as well. But Giampiero Ventura, the man who wouldn't resign after he bungling the Italy job, uh, has now walked out of Kiev Verona after just four matches in charge, even though they're finally on zero points. They were on negative points for the first... 12 weeks of the, of the season but a 2-2 draw with the uh, Pippo's Bologna means that they're on a big fat zero and uh, anyway yeah more of that in Golazzo what does that leave Kelly? leave Spain uh, Barcelona lost at home Claxon there it goes uh, that, it's the first time we've had to use that since September 2016 when was the last time they considered four goals at home yeah. in the league? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's putting him on the spot, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 15 years ago against Deportivo La Coruña. Really? 15 years since 15 you considered four goals at home. And then Real Betis, who are, like, who are a great team, but were struggling a bit, I think, this season to, to play in the Europa League and in the league, compared to last year where they finished sixth by having just the league. And then they come home and they just literally, literally like put you to the sword. It was quite fascinating to see, I think. Even oh. just the highlights, which right. is the only thing I saw. But Okay. Uh, Messi back from his fractured arm, scoring a brace, but Betis getting the victory there. Barcelona have conceded 18 league goals this season. That's a lot. Mm, it mm. is. Real Madrid won. Four t- so that's now three wins in a row for um, Solari. Real Madrid have already dropped more league points than they did in 2011 In the 12, entire season. And they're only slowing four points off the top of the league. It's, wow. it's a mad season. It's true, they are only four points behind. Between them and Barcelona, however, you have uh, Sevilla... Uh, who are one point behind the Catalans, uh, as are Atletico Madrid, who beat Athletic Bilbao 3-2 on Saturday. Another dramatic, dramatic late winner there from uh, Diego Godin. And Alaves, don't forget Alaves. This is the story oh, of the season. as well? Mm. Yeah, right. they're ahead of Real Madrid. This is the story of the season for Alaves to be there. It's incredible. It's a great story. Brilliant. OK, well, international break uh, is next up for all the leagues. Loads to come in our special international break podcast on Thursday. But today, with England against USA coming up at Wembley on Thursday night, we are going to get a little preview of that game, listener. Who with? Well, how about we dial up USA's most capped player ever, the man who just happens to be fronting Totally Football Show American Edition, Kobe Jones. Kobe, thanks for joining us. The national team is not in a good state. Um, you failed to qualify for the World Cup and you haven't announced anyone yet as a full-time coach. But Christian Pulisic is back in the squad. Who else can we expect to see at Wembley? Well, I mean, depending on, on injuries and who gets called in and who's going to start and who's going to play, I mean, I mean, who knows with the situation. I know it's a, it's a flux because the interesting thing is, you know, this we have playoffs 
in uh, in MLS, and so who the coach is calling in and who could possibly start, that's always interesting. But some of the young players that I like, if we're talking about from the U.S., is like a Tyler Adams. I, I think that he's a fantastic player that goes through the midfield. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if he's been uh, brought into the team or or not, or if he's going to be al- allowed to go or not. I believe he is going over. Uh, another player that I think is great, but he's uh, you know Weston McKinney. Uh, the last I heard, he took a little bit of an injury, but I'm not sure where he stands, you know, right now. Um, you know, obviously, for me, I think the big thing for this this national team and whoever the coach is is, I think the U.S. finally has a player, and you mentioned him in Pulisic, that you are going to kind of base the team around. So it's going to be one of those situations of who kind of can support his ability to be creative. And I'm hoping in that number 10 position, because I think that's where he would suit the United States best, a little bit of a free rolling where he can drift wherever he needs to. And I think another player like a Kellen Acosta, you know, in the defensive midfield role, maybe that number eight getting up and down could help as well. Uh, Wayne Rooney making this cameo in this game has been the subject of much discussion here, Kobe. What's been the reaction there, especially after his terrific time with DC United? Well, you know, as Americans, when it comes to football, we're we're very nice about it. So <laughs> I think it's a an outlook of, oh, this would be great. We get to see, you know, Wayne Rooney play in the England jersey, you know, once again. You know, that that's I think the general idea that is is coming about with everyone uh, on this on this matchup and the the honor that's been bestowed upon Rooney to be able to put the jersey on again. Is it the best decision? I mean, that's for everyone over in England. You get, you all are going to have to decide on this one. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, to say the least, because myself, coming from a player's perspective, I always look upon the players that might not get the chance, you know, to go in due to Rooney taking a spot. And yes, it's limited. Yes, it's this one-off. But that could still be possibly that one player that might have had the chance to go in there and shine and prove himself. You know, so for me, it's a it's a little bit of a different take. But overall, in the United States, I think everyone's just excited to see Wayne Rooney on the field in New Jersey because he has built up a bit of a following here. Now it is time at D.C. United. Well, there's more from Kobe and Co. in Totally Football Show American Edition. Search and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual places. Well... Time for us to get the odds on some things related to football, courtesy of producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. As always, Lee, as we head into the international break, let's take stock of a couple of things, starting with the title race. Is this Man City's to lose? Yeah, United weren't close to them on the weekend, and nobody's close to them in the title race. City are 2-7 to to win the Premier League title. Liverpool, their closest contenders at 4-1. to Chelsea down at 20-1. to Spurs 33s, Arsenal 100s. Man United at 200-1. to All right, and what about the picture at the bottom? Plenty of good results at the bottom of the table, but not a lot of change in our betting, actually. Despite picking up four points last week, Huddersfield are still the favourites to go down. They're 2-5. to Likewise, Cardiff, despite their win on Saturday, are odds-on to be relegated at 4-9. to it's almost as if it's a long season and not one weekend long. Uh, but Fulham are also odds on now. That's the big change. They're 1-2 to, to go down and their defence would suggest why. Uh, they're ahead of Burnley at 13-10 to 10 for a bit of a gap to the next pack of teams. Newcastle, Southampton and Palace are all 4-1 and we think, therefore, safe. And keeping it fresh, what about the race for the golden boot? He's got a lovely silver haircut, but Sergio Aguero is the favourite for the golden boot. He's 5-2 to two to be top scorer this season. He's ahead of Harry Kane at 3-1, to one, who you can never really rule out. Uh, and he beats Mo Salah in the betting, who's 5-1. to one. That's mainly down to the weight of bets on him rather than the goals he scored. He's incredibly popular with the punters, particularly those from Liverpool. And finally, Lee, everyone is enormously excited to see Wayne Rooney come out of retirement for one last match uh, as England take on USA. What's the market looking like for him doing a goal? I always find these games difficult to predict. 2-9 to nine to beat USA or 17-2 with the draw 7-2, but it is an international friendly and Wayne Rooney will play at least a part of the match. He, by the way, is 7-2 to score first. He's odds-on to score any time at 5-6, and that would be fitting. If you really want to go crazy, it's 17-1 to that he scores a hat-trick. You can find these odds and more at paddypad.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18-plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Good. We're going to be back on Thursday, friends. Uh, talking about international football. 
which international fixture are you most looking forward to, Kelly? Well, I have to be looking forward to England USA. I can't be Do any you? more interesting than that because I'm working at it. Oh, so, are you going to yeah. be there? Yeah, so I'm going to Wembley for the uh, big Wayne Rooney send off. You get the plum jobs, don't you? Mm. Crikey. Mm. All right. So, uh, I can't, yeah, I can't really. Can't no, really no, have my for focus sure. That's work. the one for everyone to tune into. Definitely. Mm. Uh, Jules, France are playing who? Netherlands away on Friday. That's a big game. To- to book their place for the final four of the uh, Nations League. All right. And Daniel, what, what, what are you going to be keeping? I'm going to uh, Burton Albion Coventry on Saturday. Brilliant. So I'm keeping it real. Yeah, in a very, very real sense. Mm. And and we'll, we'll talk more about all the stuff that will be going on because there's National League all over the shop on, on the weekend. Uh, I'll be watching two or three of those games simultaneously. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay, excellent. Hey, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, today. James. Uh, belatedly, and you know, I know, I am sorry about that. I was, I promise, I was here half yeah, an no. hour early. Yeah, I oh, know because you texted me about the traffic. Yeah, it was thanks to your warning that I was able to be here for the start exactly. of the podcast. Exactly that. That's right, listener. Um, <laughs> super. All right. Well, listen, uh, it's it's been wonderful. It's I feel much more at ease. I was quite anxious about just how much football there had been, but I feel more at ease, and hopefully you do too, listener. On Thursday. Pouring some soothing balm in your ears will be James Horncastle, who's very mellifluous. Lindsay Hooper and stat fans' favourite, Duncan Alexander. He's a stat man. Don't call him Ollie. Why not? Does he... Because you keep calling him Ollie, don't it's you? It's Oily Sailor. Yeah, because his, his Twitter handle is Oily Sailor. Yeah, and I call him Ollie. Oily Sailor. Don't, yeah. don't do that. Okay. <laughs> By the way, um, Duncan, of course, is from Opta. And speaking of Opta, best of luck to producer Ben, Matt Davis-Adams, Tom Williams, Carl Anker and Emma Saunders who will be repping Team Totally at the Opta Quiz on Tuesday night. Opta Quiz, by the way, is brutal. Mm, I know. I'm not invited anymore because I no longer work at Football 365. There you go. You're going to miss it. Maybe we could get a Totally Team. Oh, they have. And they didn't invite yeah, us. Yes. Yeah. That's, Ow. That's not, yeah. yeah. All right, then. I'm sure we'll have a great time, though, Good. That's it then, listener. You enjoy yourself in the meantime. Many thanks to Jules, Kelly and Daniel for being with us. And uh, we'll catch you on Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.